Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Did you know that many people are walking around insulin resistant and they have no idea? If you are one of those people, this is very likely one of the reasons you have chronic anxiety. But how do you know? That's what today's episode is all about. And my guest today, Jessica, is a board-certified holistic health practitioner and certified functional nutrition and lifestyle counselor. For five years, Jessica has dedicated her experience to supporting women on their journey towards optimal health. Her focus lies in assisting women diagnosed with prediabetes and those with complex health histories who have tried various approaches and have yet to achieve their desired level of well-being. In this episode, oh my gosh, we cover so much. We talk about how to manage your blood sugar, which is absolutely critical if you want to improve your mental health. I cannot stress this enough. We talk about the blood markers you want to be monitoring, how to identify trends in blood work, reversing blood sugar issues, the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, practical strategies to help you reach your health goals, the underlying reason for cravings, Hint, hint, it has absolutely nothing to do with self-control, the hormone pyramid, and the importance of addressing hormones in the right order, Alzheimer's prevention, and so much more. But before we dive into this juicy, juicy, amazing episode, I wanted to take a quick second to share my newest and my last live workshop of 2022. It's appropriately titled From Surviving to Thriving because that is what this journey has felt like to me. I was just surviving when I had my anxiety disorder, my panic disorder, my depression, and now I am thriving. So this is the adrenal and thyroid reboot protocol that banishes chronic anxiety at its root because I want to help take you from surviving to thriving. In today's episode, you're going to hear Jess and I reference adrenal health a lot, which was not planned, by the way. I am, I do not think things out that far in advance, trust me, but it ended up being perfect timing because my newest workshop is going to dive into all of this and everything you need to know about the connection between adrenal health, thyroid function, and that pesky anxiety that just won't go away no matter what you do. So imbalances in one, so with the adrenals or the thyroid, they're going to impact each other, and I'm going to show you exactly what to do to bring it all back into balance. So this workshop is going to cover supplement strategies, dietary strategies, lifestyle strategies. You're going to get a full protocol for releasing anxiety, whether you're in your fertile years, whether you're postpartum, or navigating the seas of perimenopause, and menopause. There's also going to be plenty of time for questions and live coaching. This is an intensive workshop, so they usually tend to be about two and a half, three hours. It depends on 
all the questions and I stay there and I answer all the questions. There's going to be self-assessment sheets to track progress. Everyone's going to leave with their own anxiety relief toolkit, which is so good. I'm literally bursting with excitement about this toolkit. It's going to be live on October 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But if you cannot make it live, still sign up because everyone's going to receive lifetime access to the replay and all the resources by October 30th. And there is going to be a draw and somebody is going to win a one-on-one -on -one private call with me. There's also a form where you can submit your questions in advance. This workshop is also, um, it's going to be a special edition workshop, meaning it's not going to be available for purchase after, like most of my other workshops. It will go back into the vault until I offer it next year. I will probably include it in future special edition workshop bundles, but again, I really do not plan that far in advance. So we'll see. I, I maybe will, I maybe won't. Um, it just won't be available for purchase on my website. Special edition, you know? To cut a long story short, when I learned about and properly addressed the adrenal thyroid anxiety triangle, that's when my anxiety melted away and stayed away. And now I have created a playbook for you and I'm handing this playbook over to you in this new workshop. I would not be here today free from my anxiety disorder, diagnosed anxiety disorder, panic disorder, depression, off all my medication without this very important piece of the puzzle, that adrenal thyroid anxiety triangle. And if you are still struggling with chronic anxiety, this is a big missing piece for you as well. The link to join from surviving to thriving is in the show notes. I really hope you join. If you can't join live, I hope you sign up anyway and get the support you need from the replay. And now let's discuss managing your blood sugar for better mental health with Jess. Jess, welcome to the Breaking Up with Anxiety podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Let's dive right into the world of imbalanced blood sugar, insulin resistance, pre-diabetes. Why don't you just kick it off by like, how did you get into this work? Oof. Wow. That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> there, there are two, I think I would say pivotal moments in my career in, as a nutrition coach where I knew that this work was for me. And I would say one of those in particular, not to bring the mood down, but my husband did have a stroke in 2019. And it was a giant wake up call, not just for him, but for, for me as, as a health coach at the time. At the time when I, was, uh, when I was in this business, I wasn't looking at a functional approach. I was doing the normal, you know, drink more water, helping people update their habits and, uh, you know, all the good things, but it wasn't as deep and knowledge in terms of how the body function as I wanted to. So that was a moment for me to also uh, gain more knowledge, get certified in functional nutrition, and take my practice deeper. And then I discovered how interconnected blood sugar and the cardiovascular system, as well as just, uh, you know, cholesterol and all of that, you know, all of that stuff has to do with blood sugar management. And 
Um, that was a giant piece of the puzzle. The other piece of the puzzle is I uh, was diagnosed in 2011 with ulcerative colitis. So uh, gut health has something that's been a big part of my practice, but there's a glaring piece of blood sugar balance that goes with digestion, right? We eat multiple times a day, every day. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that every time you put something in your mouth, it's information to the body. And so that was my fuel to really start to get into niching in prediabetes, niching in blood sugar management, because while gut health is important, everyone knows that gut is the gateway to health, um, which absolutely is true. What you eat, how you eat, uh, the relationship you have with food, I would almost argue it's more important because it's something we do every single day. And for some people, all day, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think I agree with you that gut health and blood sugar balance are on par because what we eat for certain situations, for certain individuals could absolutely be more important unless there's digestive imbalances. That's the nuance, right? But I would say those are equally on par. And if I had to boil down what I do to the most basic, 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 I focus on gut health and adrenals. And if we're talking about the adrenals, we're talking about blood sugar, you know, like, so I love that. I know no, so I, those are the most important things. A hundred percent. I have this hormone pyramid. I love showing people. I'm a visual learner. And in that hormone pyramid, uh, you know, the top of the hormone where everyone loves to speak and do first because it's sexy, it's, you know, estrogen balance and testosterone balance and progesterone balance, right? But the problem is if you start at the top and the bottom is not solid, right? And then you think about what's below that, thyroid, what's below that, adrenals, what's below that blood sugar, insulin, mm -hmm. right? And so I know it's sexy to want to test our hormones and go straight to that, right? But if we don't have the foundation uh, solid and, and firm, then you're playing target, you're playing, you know, that's where that non-sustainable um, success happens. It's like whack-a-mole. It's like whack-a-mole. Like, it's literally whack-a-mole. Like you, you, you're going at it ass backwards. You're targeting like the very end of the domino line. And you're picking uh -huh. up like one domino and then it works for a little bit. And then another mole pops up and you're like, whack, works for a little bit. Another mole pops up and you're like, play whack-a-mole. Exactly. And people are like, why is this, you know, I'm eating healthy. I'm exercising. What's going on? And I want to bring it back to what you said about the gut health piece, because in my program, you know, most people think they're going in and it's going to be what to eat, what not to eat. Right. But we never move forward with like literally nutrition is I think the second or third thing we even touch the first thing digestion. If you can't break it down, if you can't absorb it, if you can't eliminate it, we we do not move forward. Because at the end of the day, you're eating something. Let's make sure you're actually extracting what you're eating right now. And then we'll work on building the scaffolding to the nutrition piece once you're able to do that, right? And people are like, what? Oh, you're starting with digestion? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so The timing of this is so perfect because I had a call with a client before this and she just got diagnosed pre-diabetes. But also on our call, she was like, okay, when do we work on protein? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's that <laughs> like, and, and if you follow me on Instagram, I talk about protein all the goddamn time. So you're probably thinking, oh, we do protein first when we work with Taylor, or like when we work with Jess, you know, protein is very important. I will die on that hill. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> the most important macro, you know, but 
digestion first because you actually need to be breaking up, assimilating, detoxing, eliminating all of that amazing protein you're eating because your protein has nutrients and you need to actually extract the nutrients from the protein. Yeah, no, 100%. I have a question that's a little off topic, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Do you have symptoms of UC right now? Like, do you have flare ups? Like, is it pretty much under control? It's in remission. Yeah, I in remission. Managed, um, it. Yay! Yes, I remember when I. I love being off topic though because I think so many people are dealing with not just one thing, right? And that's the hard thing about being a coach. You're like, it's not just one thing. It's always all these things. But we have to mm-hmm. narrow in people's focus a lot, especially on the gram, right? Because it's like yeah. a fishbowl syndrome. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, right. And so I, uh, I remember being told when I was diagnosed, you'll be on, you know, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, acid reducers, your entire life. Congratulations. And here's some suppositories uh, to mm-hmm. use when you have a flare up and resume prior diet. I literally have the papers that say, I'm sorry, the- resume prior resume. diet? What if I was eating McDonald's every day and drinking a freaking bottle of wine or, you know, a liter of tequila, you know, like resume prior diet, right? And um, I'm like, this can't be me. This can't. And at that time, I had no idea how bad PPIs were for you. I had no yeah. idea how bad they were for you. And uh, yeah, no, I've been managing it naturally. You know, if it does come out of remission, it's usually because of acute stress, something mm-hmm. going on with my kids or work or, you know, all of it at once because it usually happens all at once, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's like me with anxiety. Like I no longer have an anxiety disorder, panic disorder or depression, but I will experience anxiety if I am under extreme stress. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And like physical, right? Like- mm-hmm you know, infection, colds, right? Blood sugar imbalances. I mean, you know, there's the occasional cupcake that will sneak into the diet and you're like, damn. (laughs) But also live a little, you know? I mean, you have to, right? And this is that, this is that dance that I think we have to do with our clients often, right? Because we want to guide them and coach them and give them all the tools. But we also don't want to be so dogmatic where we're taking the same approach the diet industry takes, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, I don't know about you, more than likely you're probably in my camp where it's, that's the rat hole we don't want to go down. And what caused a lot of this to begin with, especially as women, right? Yeah. It's the body dysmorphia issues, what to eat, what not to eat, red food, green foods, right? Like there's the rules, the rules, the rules, and everyone's lost any type of, uh, you know, mind-body connection because of the mm-hmm. rules, the rules, the rules, right? Yeah. And the diet industry and the fitness industry, the diet industry and the fitness industry are not the same. And also the diet industry, the fitness industry, they're not the same as the health industry. Like there are major differences. And I think that's something that's not common knowledge is we all just kind of get lumped in together. Like, oh, fitness people and nutri- you know nutrition and diet, they're all the same thing, but they're very much not. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start off with this question because it's kind of, it's kind of personal selfishly. So (laughs) I went into burnout pretty bad. Um, It's June that we're recording this 2023. So August, 2022. And I would say by February, I was feeling like myself again. Obviously I was incrementally feeling better, but I crashed pretty hard into burnout. And Uh, There were early warning signs on my blood work, like I was showing up as insulin resistant and I was racking my brain being like, how the heck 
am I insulin resistant? I wasn't pre-diabetes. This would not have been flagged by my medical doctor. And I'll get you to explain the difference in a second. But because I know how to read blood work from a functional perspective, and I get my labs done, you know, every six to eight months, and I read it myself, go through it with a fine tooth comb, I came up as insulin resistant. And I was like, that makes no sense from a dietary and a lifestyle perspective. And then I would say maybe four or five months later, I crashed into burnout. And then once I was in burnout, I was like, oh, that was why my, uh, my markers were as ding, such. Ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So can you please explain the difference between being, you know, insulin resistance being maybe subclinical from a functional perspective, maybe actually talk about a few blood markers that we can uh, look for and what the difference is between insulin resistance and actually being pre-diabetes. Yeah, totally. I love it. Great question. And yes, there's so many factors that can cause us being resistant to the insulin's call. Stress happens to be one of the largest and one of the most prevalent that I've seen, at least in the last three years, and we know what's been going on in the last three years, right? So- Mm -hmm. There's a spectrum. I think this is one thing that people don't realize in our industry uh, or even in the health world, but we're getting there. What I will say is people think you just wake up diabetic or if I don't have diabetes in my family, I don't need to worry about it. And or it just runs in my family. And so I may or may not get it. It's like Russian roulette. It's it 100%, right? And what I will say about the genetic piece of it, it does matter. It, it is a factor. And what I like to say is just because there's a genetic predisposition for it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It just means that you can't get away with the same shit that someone that maybe doesn't have that in their family. It's a weak link in your genetic code, but it's not a broken link at that point, right? I love that analogy. That's a good one. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you have children, you can't get away with just not coming home at night. (laughs) Yeah, that's not an option. Right. You kind of you can't just not wake up in the morning. You got to feed them. Right. And so there's certain things where, you know, you got to just show up more. And so there's a spectrum. Right. And so we all start off with being insulin sensitive. We are born. You know, again, we can go and there's so much detail here about the food relationship as a child versus where we end up at the end of our lifespan. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the ups and downs that that takes us. So there's so many factors to the food relationship. But just for the purpose of this conversation, we're insulin sensitive as we're born. Over time, every single day, everybody is getting a little bit more insulin resistant. And the main reason for that is we're oxidizing. We're dying. Every day we're slowly dying, right? And when we oxidize, our cells get damaged. They get brown, right? I think there's studies out there that show when your uh, your cartilage is white as a baby and then it starts to brown as you get older. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea. We're oxidizing, right? And so when when you're on this spectrum, obviously genetics do matter of how accelerated you're going to get on the spectrum, where you're going to go, right? But dietary choices, we all know that. A lot of people think I just, I'm not eating fast food. I'm, I'm not eating, you know, boxes of Cheerios. So that's not the issue. Uh, well, not, it's not necessarily true too. Sensitivities are a problem. Intolerances are a problem. Leaky gut could be the reason why you're huge insulin. inflammation, huge inflammation. physical stressor on the body. Huge. Right. And then of course there's lifestyle pieces and you mentioned burnout, stress, whether it's emotional stress, like my husband and I are fighting every day or my work is so challenging or I'm under these precious deadlines or it's physical stress. It's I'm over-exercising. I'm under-exercising, which a lot of people were dealing with during the pandemic is sedentaryness, right? They weren't moving like they were. Um, Obviously, uh, blood sugar imbalances, meaning throughout the day, 
eating something that's going to spike you, eating something that's going to drop you. Um, And then, of course, one of the big ones that a lot of people don't realize is sleep, right? So your ability to get a good night's sleep. Do you wake up feeling rested? Do you fall asleep during the day or do you feel tired around three or four o'clock, right? And I hear a lot, oh, I sleep six to eight hours, just sleep's not the problem. And then I dig in a little bit deeper. And I know you've done this before as a coach, as you hear, oh, I'm great here. Then, you know, as the relationship blossoms and the trust builds, you start to hear they're waking up three or four times a night, right? Or they wake up not feeling so great, or they got the 3 p.m. slump. Sleep alone, if everything's perfect, your nutrition, your exercise, your stress management, and your sleep sucks, you can become insulin resistant. And Mm -hmm. so it's a spectrum. There's so many different reasons why you may become, and this is like, again, a good part about having a coach is sometimes the, you know, where we have our blinders on as, as people. And I know I, I need my coach because I have blinders myself, right? We all have blinders when it comes to our own health. Even as a coach, like I'm an expert in this. And there's been times where I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Right. Which seems crazy. And then you're like, I have a naturopath, I have a therapist, and I have a business coach, right? Yep. So I will go, my naturopath will point something out. And when she points it out, I'm like, that was so obvious. Why didn't I see it? But yeah. I have blind spots for myself versus with my clients. I'm like, oh, well, this is what's going on. <laughs> I can see. It's like everything, right? Relationship, yeah. uh, dietary needs. Oh. No. So there's this spectrum. Right. And, and like I said, we're all becoming ins- more insulin resistant every single day. Certain things can increase and accelerate stress for you more than likely was one of them. Right. And then, you know, you have that insulin resistant, then you have the prediabetes jump. And, you know, from a optimal standpoint, if you're looking at blood markers, I like to look at five different b- blood markers in particular and you want to look at more than one. So a lot of people will see fasting glucose start to go up and they're like, oh, I'm insulin resistant. Not necessarily true, but it's an early indication that things are moving in the wrong direction. In order to be actually labeled as insulin resistant or even pre-diabetic, the doc- from a doctor's standpoint, a medical Western practitioner standpoint, you need to have multiple markers, kind of like metabolic syndrome, right? And so one, uh, one marker in particular, fasting glucose, we love hearing about it, Optimal ranges for an individual are 75 to 89, okay? And that is milligrams per deciliter. I'm in the United States. I know you guys uh, in Canada work on N moles per liter, uh, so you'd want to do the conversion. But um, pre-diabetic is at 100 to 119, okay? And so when doctors are looking through that lens of blood glucose or blood markers in particular, we have to remember that they're looking through the lens of pathology, meaning disease. They're looking for uh, when something is now entering the disease state, where in the functional world that Tay and I live in, we are looking through the lens of when things become suboptimal. Okay. And so this is one a hallmark reason where you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to get your fasting glucose tested. You're probably going to get your triglycerides tested more than likely. Maybe your HbA1c if you're lucky. Most people don't get their insulin tested. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, let's say you're at 98, which that's a problem for fasting glucose. Your doctor's going to go, oh, you're fine, because it is usually a 20-minute meeting, and they scan. They're not diving deep. They're not pushing through with a fine-tooth comb, right? They're like, oh, 98, you're fine. Uh, Maybe your triglycerides are kind of on the high side. You leave hearing, oh, you might want to exercise more and, you know, maybe remove sugar. That's it. 
you leave going, okay, I can't eat cake and cookies and, you know, maybe I should, you know, consider exercising more. And you are literally two points away from the pre-diabetic firing squad. And people, again, if you're not being told you are almost pre-diabetic, usually people aren't inclined to change much. Or if you're not told you are now diabetic, congratulations, usually people are inclined to not change much. And I think that's a huge disservice, unfortunately, that we get in the Western medical area, which not to knock because they did save my husband's life, but they're not so great at continuing your life to be saved once they've saved it, right? And uh, this is where these suboptimal versus pathology blood levels are a big, uh, a big disservice to us as humanity for prevention. Mm-hmm. The markers that the medical doctors use are also extremely outdated. Like, I think the last time they were updated, and I could be wrong, but this was the last thing I heard recently, was like 70 years or something. Like, is that even right? Like, that's crazy. I think it was around there. It also has to do with, you know, it's going to vary from um, location to location. So these values are also related to the population in that area, right? So let's say you move from, I don't know, California to Mexico. You got to remember there's, from a cultural perspective, you know, Mexican food is very carb heavy, right? So you got to think through the lens of too, if I'm living in an area that the more than likely the, the, the values are much wider because you're dealing mm-hmm. with probably more prevalent or even in China, right? China is one of the highest diabetic countries out there. Again, very carb heavy meals, right? So uh, nobody talks about this stuff and nobody explains to you about this, right? And this is where we can get into the weeds quite a bit as practitioners, but at the same token, we're good at bringing it back to what what needs to take place in order to start reversing this and get you away from the firing squad. <laughs> Even when I'm doing a blood chemistry analysis on um, a client, I'm mm-hmm. flagging things that are close to being outside of the functional range because I want them to understand where their health is at. And you, t- you talked earlier about testing hormones and not testing hormones until the foundation was in place. I'm, you're speaking my language. I tell people all the time, don't spend your money on testing unless you have the foundational pieces in place, what you're eating, how much you're sleeping, you're moving every day, are you getting outside, et cetera? Are you drinking water? Like this foundational piece, what's going on with digestion? Because those are going to influence your test results. So you're going to pay a bunch of information for testing that basically just tells you, get your foundation in place and then retest. But the diff, but the one thing I will say is I don't include blood work in that. I think it's really important that people get comprehensive blood work done at least once a year and then at least retesting the markers that were outside of functional range. If not, you know, twice a year, which is when I try to do it, I literally put $25 aside a paycheck into a separate account. That money's going to go somewhere. It's $25, you know, and then when it adds up, because it costs $300 in Canada where I am to get the full, it's about 200 in the U S my American clients get it for about 200, um, $300 twice a year, but it's, it's, it's telling me so much and I can catch things. And I bet you do this with your husband now and it's probably night and day his blood work and to what it was in 2019. 2019, he was insulin resistant. He was pre-diabetic Tay. Nobody Mm. said a word to my husband and he used to drink a bottle of wine at night. The guy is now uh, sober, but I remember the cardiologist at the time, this was after he had a stroke 
Um, at that point, you know, some may say the stroke was a blessing in disguise because the stroke showed that he had a 98% clogged left carotid artery. So that's a grand mal, you're dead stroke when that happens, right? And so he had a carotid artery surgery as well, where they had to clean it out and all that good stuff, right? I remember sitting with, and I, at that point, I was going to all of his doctor's appointments. I was like the annoying wife that was in. Oh education. man, I would be so annoying. Like I'm annoying and, to my vet. Oh, Imagine like my partner. Oh, they didn't want me in there. They knew that I was getting education. They knew, oh yeah. Yeah. Typical, like, oh, like, I would be like, show me all the tests. I want copies of everything. Like, it was all of it. And I remember saying, so, you know, my husband used to drink a lot of wine. Uh, my guess is you're going to tell me he shouldn't do that anymore. I swear to God, Tay. He goes, oh, he can drink wine again. I knew the answer, but I was hoping he would say it in front of my husband so that my husband would go, okay, the doctor said not to. Yeah. I was, uh, I mean, I almost caused a scene. I was like, holy shit. I have literally, goosebumps. <laughs> he literally said, he can he can go back to drinking wine. No big deal. I'm like, he used to drink a bottle. Well, I mean, maybe not a bottle, but I'm like, oh my God. You're telling a guy with a freaking bandage still on his neck from his surgery. You're telling him to go back and drink. Like, who the... But this is what <laughs> this is what we're being told. But this is what we're being told, and that's why it's so normalized to, you know, eat a bunch of gluten and drink whatever, oh. and like not sleep, like th- not get a lot of exercise. Like this is what is normalized because literally, when you do go to the medical system about something, they're mo- usually telling you it's okay <laughs> unless you have very specific things. Unless you are in an operating table, they, you know, maybe they won't bring you a glass of wine while you're about to go into the OR, right? But like, holy shit, I was, so that was years ago now. My husband obviously has learned his lesson and, you know, I'm here barking at him all the time, showing him the studies, right? Like, it's Mm -hmm. funny when you're a medical doctor, how people go, oh, you're not a doctor. I'm like, I just need to start adding MD to my name so people start paying attention to this information, right? So, um. I wanted to mention one more thing just because I I feel like I'm doing a disservice to your listeners if I don't mention it. One other marker that actually two things. So one, you mentioned test your blood or test your markers once a year, at least. Yes. True. If your HbA1c comes back at all out of optimal range, and let's just say optimal range is four and a half to five, five is being you're in front of the firing squad. Okay. Anything above five, I would say you're, you're having some issues there. HbA1c is a marker that's good for three months. It just tests the past three months of how much of your red blood cells in, in a way are covered in sugar. Okay. And mm-hmm. there's more science behind that. But if things are out of whack, I want to say go back every three months and test that HbA1c, assuming you're actually doing things to reverse it, right? If you're not and you're just curious and well, if you have money to burn, go for it. Um, the other marker that I believe people need to push to get, and I actually am um, partnered with a company called SoWell who who does a blood spot on a piece of paper for you. You can do it at home. Is your insulin. Okay. I was going to ask you your thoughts yeah. on those. Oh, you know, yeah. don't even get me started on insulin. I have clients who the doctors just refuse. 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 And they will. And, they and just say no. Especially like, what do you mean no? I'm yeah, offering no. to pay for it. hundred <laughs> percent. And because they don't understand the test. Generally that's why. Yeah. Or because they have God syndrome and you're not a doctor. So do not tell me what to do. Right. So there's, there's. And that's how I found out. Because I took, because I, I, because I get my insulin tested and the glucose and the triglycerides and everything that we're talking about today. But that's how I found out because I put all the pieces of the puzzle together and I was like, oh, interesting. 
Hey, 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 I am quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one hour webinar class called the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment that walks you through, well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment, specifically how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut how to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation, and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but I am a visual learner. So I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety banishment training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing to optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance, all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that, hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment free training emailed right to you. Okay, back to the episode. Your question was great, and I want to make sure I touch on the two pieces that I heard. Number one is, what do you feel about those types of tests? When I and I'm talking about like home tests, like an Everly Well or So Well, I believe gold standard is you get your blood drawn and then test insulin. Gold standard is your doctor is running a blood draw on insulin. If you can't get it, which many people refuse to give that to you, a test like a So Well or an Everly Everly Well doesn't believe have it, but So Well does, and it's decently uh, affordable. There's more than just insulin that they test. It's a blood spot on a piece of paper, and in those in those types of tests, do I think they're their most accurate? Maybe not. And so that's where I'd like to see a trend. So for if anybody, even in blood blood uh, serum blood markers, you know, formal ones from your doctor. Again, if you just had one, um, there's certain th- there are certain markers on these tests that I will say, okay, we need to do something. We need to make sure we're focused here. Vitamin D, HB1C, fasting glucose, uh, triglycerides, right? Where I don't look for a trend to start supporting the body, but we want to look for trends because if you're not looking for a trend, then you're falling prey to the same system that you are going to now, which is they're, they are treating the blood markers. They're not treating the human. They're treating the test, right? And so the trend matters. And to make sure that, you know, is this actually what's going on? Is it a faulty test, right? Because this could happen too, even in blood work. You could have just been dehydrated because you were out the night before drinking a bunch of wine with your girlfriends, right? And reality, you're actually fine, but you became more insulin resistant overnight because you didn't sleep, you were hammered all night and you woke up and you had a hangover and you went to go get Mm -hmm. blood work. Now, don't do that, but (laughs) if you did. No, but it's a really good point because when I found out I was in burnout, I wasn't worried about the insulin resistance anymore. Like I I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was super worried, but I, I was starting to suspect that maybe I had some genetic snip or something that I needed to investigate further because there are people in my family, um, with diabetes, but it has never concerned me because I know that it is a diet and lifestyle disease, especially when, and I'm healthy. Like, and 
and I do all the things, you know? So I just, it just got me thinking. And then when I got into burnout, I was like, oh, this is why, like, I'm not even concerned anymore, you know? (laughs) So it is important to, to lay that context. 100%. And so that insulin, and this is going to tie it back to even my story, insulin Mm -hmm. spikes first. Okay. So I want to make sure people understand this. I'm not talking about when you eat and your blood sugar spikes. No, that's your blood sugar spikes before insulin comes in, in terms of how the body works. But fasting glucose spikes after insulin spikes. And so if your insulin is above normal range and above normal is anything above five. Okay. So two to five, obviously closer to two is where you want to be. Anything above a five is one marker showing that you're having blood sugar irregulation. Okay. But if your insulin's above a five, your fasting's fine, your triglycerides are fine, your hemoglobin A1C is fine. People may go, oh, well, the doctor may say, oh no, everything's fine here. But in reality, this is a gorgeous clue that your body is not handling sugar properly. When I did the so well test uh, out of curiosity, because I, I was already working on my fasting glucose, I was already working on my, I didn't have any issues with HbA1c, I still don't. My triglycerides have always been beautiful. If anything, they've been low because of fat malabsorption issues because of colitis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my insulin was at a seven, Tay. Seven. Wow. And I'm like, wow. oh yeah. And then there's this shock of like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to have diabetes. I am screwed. And so once that shock wears off, especially as a practitioner, especially if you feel like you're doing everything right in that moment, and the I'm imposter like imposter syndrome too, where you're like, how the hell did this happen to me? Well, <laughs> I remember it's a trend for all I know, yeah. it was at 12 a, yeah. three years ago. Right. And so this is where you got to ground yourself, not even as a practitioner, as a human, Know mm-hmm. also that it, it, if I test it again, it could be at a four, it could be at a, you know, like there could be error in the test. But I always take these types of situations as a wake up call in a loving way is I'm already doing all the things. I don't know where my insulin was at before this, right? I do know that my fasting glucose has been, you know, around that at least about a year ago in that 94 to 96, which is not great. We want it below the nineties. Okay. And so I remember seeing that test and yeah, the imposter syndrome happened that I'm going to be diabetics, you know, like all those thoughts fled through me, but it was so beautiful to know that my fasting glucose has been slowly inching down. My HbA1c never went over five. And I was given a gift that Jess, you are where you're supposed to be. Not just Mm -hmm what you're doing, but also what you're talking about on social media, like a freaking parrot, right? Is (laughs) people have zero clue that this is happening. And when you see that number and you see it high, that is your, you got it early. That's a beautiful thing to be. You got it early and there's something you can do about it today, literally today, right? Which is incredible. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that with the insulin piece, because a lot of people, I think, are, are are walking around more than likely insulin resistant and have no idea that it's happening. Um, one thing I will say is, you know, a lot of people over the pandemic, uh, the biggest thing I hear is exhaustion and weight gain. If your weight is moving to up and to the right, not where you want it, you immediately, you need to think of my body is not using glucose properly. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, where you are on that, on that spectrum may be to be determined, but you have to immediately assume my body is not using glucose properly in those instances. Mm-hmm. Okay. You said something, which is a perfect segue, but I want to ask you this one question before I forget. 
because mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about how important sleep is for our blood sugar balance and how you could be doing all the right things. And the only thing you're not doing is prioritizing your sleep and boom, that's going to influence your blood sugar. What would you say to a mom mm-hmm. who wants to sleep so bad, but she has a four-year-old son who does, or a four-year-old, I don't know why I said a son, just a four-year-old, oh, so not a baby. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that's why I said it, because I know your voice. So she has a four-year-old who does not sleep well and wakes up multiple times throughout the night, and she cannot get a, a good night's sleep. And so she's listening to this and I'm asking this because I have clients who are in this situation. So, and she's listening to this and she's thinking like, well, I'm screwed. Like my blood sugar is going to just be imbalanced. Like, what would you say to that? Totally. So one thing I will say is number one, everything can always be reversed. Yes. It's easier to reverse things when it's not in a disease state. So my favorite line is, you know, prevention is easier than trying to reverse you know, when you've already meet disease, but it's still reversible. So number one is just breathe into, we can always do something to make it better. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would ask is, and, and I have to ask this because I grew up in a divorced family and I had a, a single parent, right? Is, are you alone? Do you have nobody, literally nobody that can help you? Right. And as women, we typically do take on the the, the, the you know, number one parent, the, the number one caregiver role, even if our husbands are there to help us, right? So I usually work with type A, high achieving, I can do it all, get out of my face, I'm never going to ask for help type woman, right? Same. It takes one to know one. <laughs> I can do it. I'm going to bitch about it, but I can do yeah. it. I even do that with my cats. And then I'm like, I only have myself to blame that like, I'm always buying the food. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But it's like, but I, but I'm allowing that to happen. There is a little piece of awareness that needs to happen where we need to go, where am I being a pain in the ass, right? Yeah. So <laughs> if you have help and you literally are the only one, and, and again, men men are great in this way too. Men are, you know, if there's any men listening, you know, kisses, kisses. They are taught how My to- My dad listens. Hi, daddy. Hi, daddy. daddy. They are taught yeah. what their wives teach them. So if the yeah. wife says, I got it, right, then they're going to let you got it. Because yeah, men you trained are, them. Men are fixers. If you don't give them something to fix, they're not going to fix it, right? And if you yeah. just bitch about it, they're not going to fix it either. Because again, you need to spell it out for them. So I would say to women that have help, whether it's their their partner, whether it's their you know maybe a mother in law or somebody else, whoever's in the home with you, ask for at least shift work. Okay, this is where you're now going to become a shift worker, right? Monday's through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I got it, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you got it, right? So there's that, can we give the body a break somehow, right? If you don't have help, I got actually a really cool um, way that you might be able to help yourself, at least during these years. Know that it's going to get better too. I My kids are five and 10 and when they stop waking you up in the middle of the night, you first start panicking, like, are they dead? Do I need to go wake up and make sure they're alive? <laughs> are they so you okay? <laughs> you do yourself. But then two, you kind of go, oh, they don't need me anymore, right? So then we have the other problem. But yes. if this too shall pass, but if this too shall pass is taking too long, um, there's actually been studies out there that you can take a sleep vacation and it's not death. <laughs> so you, yeah, you have, again, a, a girlfriend or somebody in your life. And we all do have somebody in our lives. Sometimes it's hard for us to ask for support. Um, you can also hire help, right? Is you take two to three days 
and you can turn sleep debt into reversing insulin resistance. Not completely, but it helps by taking two to three days where you sleep 10 to 12 hours each one of those days. In doing so- Yes. I've heard in- about this, but I haven't dove into this. I've heard about this for adrenal fatigue as well. Okay, well, keep going. All very, all very similar, right? Where yeah. just think of right when you give the body, and if anybody wears, I have an aura ring, right? Or if anybody wears, like, I know I've been looking at it. It's on my I list. I love it. It's, it's my. <laughs> don't go any. I'm like, look at my look at my ring tan, right? <laughs> I go nowhere without it. But um, you know, heart rate variability is a big, you know, everyone hears about HRV with all these cool fitness gadgets, right? The longer you can stay in a recovery phase. And when we're sleeping, we are in the ultimate recovery phase. That means we're fasted. That's a whole other topic we could talk about. We're fasted, right? We are uh, in literally tissue repair mode. Our growth hormone is starting to surge as long, you know, the fasted piece of it, which again is all necessary for adrenal repair, insulin repair, sex hormone regulation, right? And so when you can get, if you have massive sleep debt, if you're a mother of a four-year-old with zero help, you have massive sleep debt. Not to mention you're probably making really crappy choices with food and all the other things too, because you're exhausted, right? Yeah, you're tired and then you have cravings and cravings have nothing to do with self-control, by the way. They have everything to do with what's going on in your body. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So it's not your fault if you're like, I can't stay away from the cookies, right? Yeah. So- and, and you can't because if you did, you would die, right? Like our body is literally trying to keep you alive. So yeah. yeah, two to three days, three being gold standard, 10 to 12 hours of sleep, you literally take a sleep vacation. You you get your kids set up with somebody. If you can only do two days, that's better than none. You go to a hotel or you go to a friend's house. You, you literally say, I'm not, you know, I'm sleeping 10 to 12 hours. Maybe you be with the kids during the day and you leave and go back. I'm sleeping 10 to 12 hours. That alone First of all, you're going to feel like a million bucks, right? And that alone has shown that it can begin to reverse the damage that's happening to the pancreas, this damage that's happening to the mitochondria at a cellular level, which is incredible. So women out there that have no help, schedule a three-day sleep vacation once a quarter, and that's your way out of this, at least until the terrible fours and fives and maybe sixes go away. (laughs) I'm only in the fives. The 10-year-old's good, so we'll see. Yeah, but then they're going to be teenagers and you're going to be like up all night for whole other reasons. Like my dad never slept well when I was a teenager. He was like on the couch tossing and turning till I got home. (laughs) And so that's my mom was fine. She's like, I'm fine. Bye. Right. Because she's had to deal with your ass up until that point. Yeah. And she knew my dad was on it. (laughs) And that's, but that's, did you see that? They they had a tag team. They were a tag team, right? That's where we got to bring our partners in and start to support us more because we need it. Not because we're weak, but because if we feel like shit, or if we have diabetes, if we need to be on insulin, if we're on medication, right, we can't be there for our loved ones. So there's this level of awareness and a level of forward thinking, future casting, I like to say, where where do you want to be? How do you want to feel? And you could do this with everything. If you're listening right now and you're on your lunch break or you're walking around, right, and you're about to go eat or you're going to have dinner, you can start at dinner. How do I want to feel? after I eat? How do I want to feel during? How do I want to sleep tonight? And just keep it in the, you know, what is it? Fast and the Furious. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Sorry. I love that movie. (laughs) Like if you think in those terms, I live my life every few hours at a time, you can do them. You don't have to think about the end goal, reversal of diabetes. You can think about the next three hours and live your life in those, those, those chunks. And if you, if you keep choosing again, 
it's what you can accomplish is amazing. 1% improvements make massive changes in our life, right? Small hinges swing big doors. So when you're listening to like, oh, there's so many things I can do. Yes. Thank goodness. Pick three, get really good with those and then open the door to new possibilities. And what I will say one more thing about sleep is if you can't sleep in a duration that you want, try to in try to improve the sleep quality and by doing that again balancing your blood sugar <laughs> number one thing mm-hmm. and you know i love like a lemon balm tea um you know lavender on the pillow make your room super dark no glowing lights any lights can affect your melatonin production um right so make your room a sanctuary yes your kids waking you up 24 7 but what can you do in your room to make it just okay you're up you come back your head hits the pet- pillow you're asleep again right you got to protect your room like it's your number one sanctuary for sleep. Mm-hmm. I love that. Love mm-hmm. that. Learn something new every day. Okay. Yes. Can you talk about the main differences between like type one, type two diabetes and just make it clear what's reversible and you know, what's not. And I would love, uh, I know this is a hard question because it's different for everyone, but I mean, these are the clients you work with. So you probably have a general timeline in your head, just like I could answer this question for anxiety. Um, But if somebody, you know, they realize, okay, I'm pre-diabetes, I would, I would love like a general timeline for reversing that, like what you see in practice, if people are doing all the things kind of like, what's the timeline ish for reversing that? I love it. Okay. First question about the differences between the two, and I'll tie this into that insulin test. So type one diabetes Mm -hmm. is an autoimmune diabetes. Okay. So once you have autoimmunity, once that three-legged stool and the three-legged stools, genes, inflammation, and and digestion. Okay. Once that three-legged stool has been broken, you can never not have autoimmunity. Again, it's where you can get away with versus not, right? Ulcerative colitis is an autoimmune IBD, right? So I know that this is who I am. This is what I'm going to own. Type 1 diabetes is where the your body is basically attacking the beta cells in the pancreas. So your, your body is not able to um, produce insulin in a way that it, it's supposed to. And that's where the insulin test is so helpful. So you may have similar markers as a type 2 diabetic. But if your doctor doesn't test insulin, and there's many other ways to test for autoimmunity or issues with the pancreas, right? But that's one that's just, it's an easy test. If your insulin levels are in the tank, low, non-existent, right, and you're showing fasting glucose is high, you're showing all these other markers, that would be a beautiful way to see, oh, holy shit, this might be a type 1 issue, not a type 2 issue, which is a, you know, I would say it's not a radically different approach, but it's a much more immune-heavy approach at that point, right? Where a type 1, di- type 2 diabetic, yes, we care about inflammation, we care about reducing inflammation, but we're, we're focused on on uh, body inflammation, not necessarily inflammation happening at the pancreas, right? So type two diabetic is, is where your pancreas is pumping out insulin more than it needs to, because you're not clearing it. Your cells are saying, I, I I don't want it. It's too much. I'm bathing myself. I can't hear you. (laughs) Right. So insulin is the hormone that unlocks. It's a key that unlocks the hormone or the cell so that the hormone can get in and usher in the glucose into the cell. Right. The interesting thing too, Tay, which I've been reading a lot about is this is where things can get, this is where people go, I don't know what it is, right? The doctors are inconclusive of what maybe it is or the root cause of it. Um, and they start throwing, you know, metformin at you at this point is your, your pancreas can also get tired. Okay. So you can be type two diabetic where your insulin does start to drop too low. 
And then, so there's, you know, there's ways to look at this could be type one again, or this could be type two. Again, it has to do with trends. It has to do with monitoring, but eventually your, your pancreas can tucker out too. Your beta cells are so destroyed because of what's been going on in the body and inflammation because of, you know, meta inflammation, chronic inflammation, not due to autoimmune inflammation. And so this is where looking into your CRP, knowing if it's full body inflammation, looking into the HOMA IR, looking into um, many other tests, blood spot fatty acid tests, right? Is your body even using your fatty acids properly, right? Like where is the breakdown happening? And always looking for upstream, you know, diabetes, pre-diabetes, high insulin, high fasting, glucose. These are all symptoms of a deeper Mm -hmm. root cause. And so we want to make sure we're, we're never just landing there we get excited when we find a diagnosis and we want to just live there you want to you want to keep going upstream where's the breakdown actually happening in the body um so i would say that that hopefully gives you a little bit better understanding of type one versus type two and then of course you have type three which is now alzheimer's right so in resistance of the brain um which i'm it's interesting i'm seeing a lot of things out there saying that alzheimer's is not reversible um i think there's you know, there's a lot of controversy about the fact that Alzheimer's may not be reversible. What I will say is when damage is being done, yes, there's a piece of that. And that's why once you're diabetic, people assume that I'll always be diabetic. It depends on the degree of diabetes. Because if there's a shit ton of damage that have been done, and your liver is the only real area that can be reversed in terms of regrowth, right? Your liver can regenerate again until it's too damaged, right? People don't realize that you can push it past a certain point. Same thing with Alzheimer's. It depends on what's what's the body like, what's going on in the body, right? And I absolutely believe just because you have Alzheimer's does not mean that you can't take steps to lessen the degree to which you persist in that area. Now, with that said, we all know that, you know, personality gets disrupted with Alzheimer's, right? So working with somebody that has Alzheimer's, it's a whole other, it's a whole other ball game. But I did want to say that, you know, for people out there that have loved ones that have Alzheimer's or it's runs in your family, again, it's not something that you are going to have, right? Like we want to make sure we're looking at the lens of this because as a predisposition does not mean it's for me. Um, and mm-hmm. give you guys- and I have to share what I was telling you before, oh, yes. but I got so fired up before jumping on this call because <laughs> Alzheimer's like dementia, it's a, it's on both sides, like my partner's side and my side, my grandma had is type one diabetic, uh, but that came later in life. She wasn't, she didn't have it as a child. And she also, I, you know what? I don't know. Actually, I can't remember if it's dementia or Alzheimer's or both, but something like usually, that. Usually it comes in combos. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so it's a big conversation. You know, it, it, my people in my family will say things like, you know, my mom will be like, oh, well, my mom has it. So I need to do like crosswords just to make sure that I don't get it. And I'm sitting there like smoke coming out of my ears, like pulling hair out of my head because I'm like, it's not about the crosswords. Yeah, you can get to know. Yeah. Like that cola that you're drinking, like you could start yeah. there. <laughs> what about the stress management? You know, like what about the blood sugar? What about the other things? And obviously, and the, and my partner and I talk, well, I, we don't talk about it. I bring it up often <laughs> enough. It's not really a conversation. It's just me being annoying. Um, but his grandpa um, had Alzheimer's. And so again, conversation in the family, like, you know, he won't wear deodorant and, and with like aluminum and things like that. But I'm like, there is so much 
more. And so just before I jumped on this call, I was scrolling through Instagram, you know, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I love her, um, like the protein queen. <laughs> so she was on a podcast and she was talking about how Alzheimer's like basically like starts in your thirties, like the things that you're doing in your thirties. So like Alzheimer's prevention would start like in your thirties, cardiovascular disease, anything that we think of as just like part of aging and you either get it or you don't. And like, Oh, I guess it's just luck of the draw or maybe it runs in the family. It's not. It's very much not. And it literally starts in your 30s. It could start before. If like you eat cereal every single day for your whole entire life since you were a child, you know, like, and so I was telling my partner this, I just kind of walked by and made like a sassy little comment, like while he was eating breakfast and his breakfast was fine. (laughs) There was anything bad about his breakfast, but I was just like, you should look at the story that I just posted and like how Alzheimer's prevention starts in your 30s. And he said, oh, it's fine. Like, by the time I'm old enough, like they'll have a cure. And oh. I was like, wait, you think that there's a cure for like reversing 40 years of like damage? And he was like, yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, At that point he's committed. He has to say, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I love you so much, but how, like, how, how are you my person? <laughs> like, I love you. But like, we butt heads over this stuff all the time. Like, he's very much like, I'll deal with it when I, it happens. But I'm like, no, like, so much can be prevented. And yeah, and that's what I mentioned, right? That I think there's two camps. There's the one where they're overwhelmed. What do I even, where do I even start? There's so much information out there. Why? I mean, my, this is where my husband was a few months ago when, you know, I'm always spewing like, you know, let's, let's swap this out for that out. And he's like, okay, tell me why we're doing this now. Now he just lets me do it. Right. And um, we move so quickly and they're just trying to keep up so quickly. Like and then literally every day I'm like, Oh, I learned this. I'm going to take action. <laughs> he's like, yeah, Slow down. He's like Oh, hundred percent. There's always, I bought a new fast iron thing and he's like, I don't even want to know anymore. Just whatever. <laughs> like, I just make sure you, you know, make my chicken on that instead of the other thing you're using. <laughs> Right. So there's, there's that camp of it's the freeze state. I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know where the hell to start. Let me stick my head in the sand. Ostrich syndrome. Right. Then there's the other camp where it's that I want to enjoy my life. Like this is what I hear a lot from my, my mom is I just want to enjoy my life. Okay. Right. Like some people are already there. They don't want to hear it. You can't convince people that are not ready to receive. Right. Um, so I totally get the annoyance of those types of conversations. I did want to mention your, or answer your question about timeline. I get this asked Mm -hmm. a lot, especially in consultations is how long is this going to take? I was literally asked this today. So I know Uh, it's kind of like one of those questions that we're just kind of like, you know, grinding our teeth a little bit, but I am curious from a functional perspective, like how long, how, how long it could potentially be. I love it. No, it's a good question. And I will say that, you know, it depends, obviously. Um, but the two areas that I want to bring light to is number one is how long has this been going on? Right. Sometimes people don't know how long has it been going on, but the, the, the least amount of time that it's been going on. And again, it's one of those things that as humans, we don't usually take action until we're in pain. Right versus prevention. Although I do have a client that literally came to me. She's a surgeon though. So there's probably that, uh, where she's coming to me for preventative measures and that's rare. Right. Um, but how long is it, how long has this been going on? Cause the longer it's been going on, you have to understand the longer anything's been going on, the more effort I will say, not harder, the more effort and focus it's going to take to reverse it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other piece to that too is 
it can happen. When I say happen, I'm going to do air quotes very fast. And what I mean by that is, will your A1C drop tomorrow? Probably not, right? Will your fasting glucose go back to, you know, below 90 in a week? Probably not. But if your energy starts to get better, if your food choices start to get clearer, if your sleep starts to get better, if you're not snapping at your kids every five minutes because they asked you for a banana on the shelf they can't reach and you're just not paying attention, right? If your resiliency to stress gets better, if your periods, if you're not you know, menopausal at this point, if you're noticing your periods are better, this is one thing I hear often is, oh my God, Jess, I'm regular. I don't have the cramps that I used to. My acne is going away, right? If these things are getting better, your brain- Or anxiety. Mood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anxiety is a big symptom of blood sugar yeah. balances, insulin resistance, pre-diabetic, everything we're talking about today. Like for anybody listening who thinks this is maybe not connected to anxiety and they're like, why is she bringing this person on? This is very much connected to anxiety. Yes. Your ability, not even just to bring yourself out of the hole of anxiety when it happens, but noticing that you're going, this is one that one of my mentors used to tell me, if the frequency of when your symptoms are happening are becoming fewer and farther between, you're healing. You're going Mm -hmm. in the right direction, right? And this is where I go back to We want the scale to be a certain number, right? Or we want a number on our blood marker to be a certain number. That is the end goal, yes, right? But if you focus on how you feel right now, whether it's how you feel after a meal or how you want to feel after a meal or how you want to feel after a night of, you know, either good sleep or poor sleep because your girlfriends are asking you to go out for a third night in a row or whatever it is, right? If you focus on how you want to feel, We're humans. We're having a human experience. All we have is this moment. And in this moment, all we have is how we feel, right? If you only just do that, you will get to your goal, assuming you're honoring how you actually want to feel. Who do you have to be in order to reach the goal that you want to have, right? What habits does that woman keep? What thoughts does she have? Who does your next level level self, what does she look like? What clothes does she wear? How does she carry herself, right? Like this is what I try to bring to people in when they want to know the timeline. Because if I could tell you it's going to take three months to reverse, I would be a bazillionaire. There would be something I wouldn't be maybe, I, maybe I'd be on this podcast still. I would be doing something else. <laughs> right? Well, you can just never, ever, ever give an actual timeline because like I, you can't go over to someone's house and stay with them all day and make sure they're doing the things. That's the biggest piece too. Like is- there's so many factors and it's, but also- it's compliance. Also think about it this way. If we knew we were going to die in one week, the day, the time, what was going on, do you think you would actually be able to enjoy your life for that week? Knowing that that, right? So when we're so laser focused on the result, it's like manifesting. I think I saw something scrolling Gabby's feed recently on Oprah and she mentioned- Oh yeah, I saw that too. (laughs) Did you see that? When- She was like, you know, when you're trying to manifest something and health is no different, granted, you know, you don't want to just say, I want this and take no action. You got to take action clearly. Right. But if you're Mm -hmm. manifesting something and you're so laser focused on what you want, you're not letting it go. You're gripping so tight that you're either going to be overstimulated, hypervigilance. You're, you know, you're going to be in that um, sympathetic nervous system constantly, which means anxiety, right? High stress. Or you're going to be in the parasympathetic. When you can let it go, when you could focus on right now and let go of the timeline, hard, easier said than done. But that's another reason why if we if we put a timeline on it, we're doing a disservice for our clients because then they're like, okay, by July 31st, I should be here. 
and what happens when you're not there. It's like mm -hmm. the 30-day slim-down diet. It's no different than, okay, so what happens? So here's the thing. This is the thing I like to play too with my clients. Let's say that you were able to lower your A1C and get back to optimal levels of glucose and no longer be pre-diabetic by July 31st of 2023. What, what happens then? Do you go back to eating fast food? Do you go back to living a life of partying every night? Do you go back to not sleeping? Like that date doesn't matter. What matters is the journey and that you're building sustainable habits that you're going to do long. Sure. Will you maybe allow yourself more fun, more resiliency? Potentially. Yes. But are you just going to keep, are you going to add in all the bullshit that you took out to feel better? So what does that date really matter? It's, it's just us being humans and needing to know that, you know, this is the funny thing, right? I ask that question. People think, well, I'm going to put them on a diet. Put them on a diet. They're not going to have fun. They're going to be in prison for five months working with me, right? That's the issue is we think this is going to be hard for five months. No, they're like, it's temporary. Like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to get the results. And then I'm going to go back to what I was doing. But that's not how this works. That's not how this works. That's not how, right. And that's where, again, it's just sometimes talking through it. Maybe you listening out there today kind of got some aha moments of like, okay, everything we all know as humans back to the basics to let it go. Do the right thing and let it go. But I tell my kids all the time, make better choices. <laughs> like, your life is is comprised of choices. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. it. And the time's going to pass anyway. You it's know, gonna the time's going to pass anyway. So why not use that time making like little tweaks and changes that it might not be as, you might not be going as fast as your brain tells you you need to be going, but you also have to meet your body where it's at. You have to meet like your lifestyle where it's at. You have to like look at the situation holistically, right? 100%. This is like a perfect segue into the second question I had, which I'm glad I waited until the end because it's a good way to wrap it up. Well, I had a lot of questions, but what I said, I'll come back to this question. So we were talking about the blood markers and you had said there are things that you can do today to improve these blood markers. So what would be your top five action steps and they don't have to be in a particular order but you're just top five action steps that somebody could take today if they knew or suspected that they were insulin resistant or pre-diabetic love it okay number one thing and maybe you've already had your breakfast at this point but start with protein <laughs> this is right up tay's alley i'm <laughs> so glad that's number one Start and if my clients listening will be like, yeah, she won't shut up about protein with breakfast. <laughs> so I will take it even a step further. Start with protein, okay, but also include high level of omega-3s in your breakfast, okay? Omega-3 is one of those, uh, one of those uh, key constituents that is hard for us to get in our diet. People may be thinking, oh, well, I eat, you know, nuts and, and seeds. And the problem with those types of foods, which they're healthy. Yes, they're healthy. As we live in a world where we're now eating almond milk and drinking, eating seeds instead of chips. And you're overdoing your omega-6s. You're throwing your omega-6s, which are, they're more higher in omega-6 than three, out of balance, right? So mm -hmm. include things like avocado, chia seeds. Flax seeds actually have a higher omega-3 than six ratio. So that's a good thing. Include that in your diet as much as you can earlier on in the day. Why? Because it's going to keep you satiated. It's going to help with inflammation. You want to start your day off right. So start with protein and a, and a high omega-3 breakfast. And if you want extra credit, reduce the amount of simple carbohydrates you are, you are adding to that breakfast 
early on in the day. And I won't even go over oats right now because we'll need a whole other podcast episode on that. Um, <laughs> Agreed. And we started on oats. <laughs> and oats. Don't milk. even, just, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> just don't even get me started on like the typical North American breakfast. No, like it's, we need a whole other episode for that. I'll invite you on my podcast. We'll talk about that. Okay, um, perfect. <laughs> we're very aligned in this oh, area. This, yes. this is going to help with anxiety and blood sugar, y'all. <laughs> 110%. Very closely aligned. Um, avoid eating carbs alone. Okay, so maybe you have already had breakfast and you haven't had lunch yet. Um, I, Although I don't believe some of these glucose hacks out there are things you should live your life with. Like, for instance, if you just eat veggies before you have a big old ass bowl of pasta, you're fine. No. You might be shunting your blood sugar spike, but you're probably still spiking, especially if you have dysregulated blood sugar, right? But still, that is something we can do when we're not testing or we don't have a continuous glucose monitor on. Don't eat an apple even by itself. Add some nuts, add some nut butter, have some jerky. Uh, Just don't eat carbs by themselves. Why? Because carbohydrates quickly digest and they will quickly infiltrate the body with energy. And if you're just going to sit there, and you're not going to run a marathon, you're not going to go for a walk, you're not going to go run around the playground with your kids, then your body's just going to use that. It's not going to use it. It's going to store it. More than likely, it's going to store it around your hips and your thighs, and it's just going to cause more problems. And we don't want that, right? So avoid eating carbs alone. Um, tonight, if, you, if you, you're if you listening to this and you've already had dinner, or maybe you haven't had dinner yet, try to fast for 12 hours. And I'm not talking about intermittent fasting. I'm saying after a 7 o'clock meal, don't have breakfast until 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's going to do two things. One, I it's have a gonna... question about that, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody wakes up at five, do you want them not eating till seven? Or are we adjusting the 12-hour window to make sure they're eating within an hour of waking up? So what's easier is adjusting the window. But a lot yes. of people say, oh, I don't eat until seven o'clock at night, right? And so I, I love that you asked this because when I work with my clients, I never take a dogmatic approach. This, these, are, mm-hmm. these are the ideal ways of eating if you're looking for the ideal ways. But depending on what's going on in the body and if adrenal issues are a problem, right, we don't want to cause more blood sugar lows or highs. So we do want to stay in a nice regulated state. So it, it depends as always. But I would- <laughs> The answer is it depends. <laughs> your window or... Or again, focus on what I said. If you have to eat, keep it very low carbohydrate, keep it more protein rich, omega-3 rich, right? Um, and, and do the best you can. If you are only taking seven hours between dinner and breakfast, do not go to 12. Go to seven and a half, then go to eight, then go to nine, right? Like we want to take a low and slow approach always with anything we do because again, it's sustainable and it doesn't shock the body right? Especially if you have adrenal issues, we want to make sure that you're not putting the body in a more stressed out state, which is only going to cause more blood sugar problems. Um, And then the last one is limit and avoid added sugar. And so what I mean by that is um, often we think we're doing the right thing by eating the gluten-free thing, or we're eating the dairy-free thing or the nut-free thing, right? We're going to eat packaged foods. It's just the live world we live in. Right? We obviously want to limit the amount and also look at the quality. But if you were to actually turn your label around of your package, even if it's beef jerky, which we all think, oh, this is protein. This should be fine. If you're looking at 
added sugars, right? Not the carbohydrates, which everyone's obsessed about because of calorie counting and macronutrition and all that, right? But you look at the added sugars, you're going to be appalled with how much added sugar you're getting in your yogurt, how much added sugar you're getting in a protein bar or a protein shake, or, you know, especially one of those oh, already- protein made. bars are fake health foods. Fake health <laughs> food. a public service <laughs> announcement. Granola, another fake health food, right? Unless it's yeah. just made of nuts and you made it yourself, added sugar. So- the American Heart Association believes that women should drink or have no more than, I think, 24 or 26 grams of added sugar a day. That's about four to six teaspoons of sugar. Incredible amount of sugar, right? You can blow through that with a protein shake and a yogurt easily. And normally people put those together, right? Or they put granola in the yogurt, right? So added sugar. If you are eating any type of processed food, get in the habit of turning it around and looking at the added sugar. Number one, if it's over, I would say six grams, find an alternative, okay? Number two is look at where the added sugar is coming from because the glycemic index does matter. If it's coming from maple syrup or if it's coming from coconut sugar, it's better added sugar compared to like a dextrose or a, you know, just white flour, white sugars or any of the fake crap out there. Um, but it's still added, even if it's natural. If it's honey, people think, oh, it's honey. It's okay. It's maple syrup. It's okay. It's still add it. It's not naturally occurring, right? So those are the four things. Eat a high protein breakfast with omega-3s, avoid eating carbs alone, fast for 12 hours, or at least start to increase the amount of time up to 12 hours between breakfast and dinner or dinner and breakfast, and then start looking at your added sugars and really paying attention to keeping it below that 24 grams if you can a day. Amazing. And then the last one, Thank you. Last one. Yes. Oh, yeah, five. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's five. That's four. The last one is yeah. find a practitioner that you trust that can guide you on this journey because those four alone could, could take somebody two months to figure out because life's hard. You have kids. You're not sleeping. You're on travel. You're right. And so we think we have to do all of this all at once. And the answer is no, you try to do that, you're going to dysregulate your nervous system, you're going to, you're going to kill your adrenals, right? Um, so find someone that- Or you're going to give up because you just feel like you can't do it and then you place blame on yourself when really you just tried to do too much too quickly, which is just not humanly possible. It's not like possible. I know we feel like we're superheroes, like we're especially like moms. Super, I mean, I work like three jobs. Like I feel like I can do a lot, but realistically you can only really change a handful of things. I would say three things max, if yes. that at a time, but like yep. and even, even if you just change one thing and that's all you can do, like one is better than zero. A hundred percent. Right. So get help to not only help you walk through your journey, but also see your blind spots. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard, right? Cause we work with women that pride themselves on not asking for help until they have to. Right. And I, all of my clients said the best thing that they ever did was ask for help and mm -hmm. just a lot, not just with me, but with their partners, with their kids, mm -hmm. with their, you know, their family is they didn't realize how much more they could do. Cause again, we're all trying to do more <laughs> if they just asked for help. So that's my five. Even in my office job last week, I was working multiple jobs because people were away. And so I was acting for a bunch of people and I was like really overwhelmed for two days. And then on the third day, it occurred to me that I didn't have to do everything. Right. And I could, and that I could ask other people to do some of the tasks. And so right. I did that and I was like, oh my gosh, why did well, I do this from the beginning? 
especially in corporate. And I'm also, I have a corporate world yeah. too. There's, it's so layered, right? Cause women, w- there's this whole other feminine versus masculine situation where if we ask for help, we look weak, right? I mean, there's this deep rooted trauma that we can peel the layers back. Again, a whole other episode of why not asking for help can cause anxiety, can disrupt. Yeah. Culture. So you're coming back basically. <laughs> We can, we can, I mean, this is like, we'll, we'll create a whole program together. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That would be a really good program. <laughs> totally. Transformation. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Well, in the meantime, where can everybody find you and learn from you? Absolutely. So best place currently, there's two. Number one is just Instagram at Be Body Empowered. Uh, that's where I hang out most of the time. I, uh, I try to double down on one ple- one place in social media. Um, and then the other piece is I have a podcast that's still in its early stages, about 10 episodes, but it's the Be Body Empowered podcast where I like verbal. I'm in sales in my corporate career. <laughs> I do much better if I can explain myself <laughs> than a. Oh, a, yeah. The like 2,000 Instagram posts. I'm like, this is not enough to say what I have to say right now. I, yeah. Please don't misunderstand me. Just go listen to my podcast. Right. Um, but yes, I would say those are the two best areas to find me. And if you you know, want to chat, just message me on Instagram and that's the easiest way. Thank you. We will link all that in the show notes and until you come back. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality, and there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action, and the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing. My legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode. Bye for now.